Welcome to the Mad Pastors Podcast, the honest podcast for honest pastors, powered by G6 Allies, because everybody needs an ally. Welcome back to the Mad Pastors Podcast. I'm Ian Dunaway. I'm John Oliver. And John is still here, and we're excited about it. Uh, John, you, you not only get to guest host this podcast, but you'll be here another week with us before Michael um, comes off of his sick bed and is able to talk and not cough. So rest in peace, Michael, until two weeks from now. Uh, but it's been, man, it's been a good, it's been a good few weeks with you, right? Yeah, I've enjoyed it. Um, I remember Jack Black said that those who can't do teach and those who can't teach teach Jim. Uh, but we're talking about more than just teaching today. We're talking about coaching and we're talking about investing in people. And so I'd love to introduce you guys. We have a, a really special guest with us. Uh, Ben Comerford. Uh, did I say that right? Comerford. Perfect. Yeah. Oh, See, yeah. I, I've worked on reading for uh, for a couple of years now, um, but uh, he is the the managing chair with the C12 group uh, and he oversees West Georgia. And so, man, Ben, thank you so much for giving some time and, and, and coming on to talk with us. Ian, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh. Well, hey, t- tell us a little bit about uh, C12. Not everybody's familiar with it. I was really struck by it. Um, and it was really funny when we knew you were coming on, uh, Michael and I were talking about it and Michael went, Oh yeah, I know C12. I, those guys are solid. And I was like, well, great. I'm just the one in the dark. So, uh, let, tell us a little bit about what C12 does and what you do. So C12, uh, it's an, it is a national um, organization based out of San Antonio hmm. and it's comprised of local chairs who cover a geographic area. So as you, you had alluded, I cover, really all of central Georgia and also eastern Alabama. Oh, wow. Um, so there's several cities in there. It's about probably 5 million people in that demographic. Um, and we are a, uh, we're a, a peer advisory board for Christian CEOs. Okay. We have, um, you know, that C12 is comprised of local groups. As you, can, as you can imagine by the name, C12, we're looking to build towards a group of 12. Hmm. Occasionally one or two more, sometimes a few less. Yeah. But it is around um, business owners. It's not exclusively male. Um, although, as you would imagine, because the demographic calls for it, it's, it's overwhemmingly men between 35 and 55. Sure. Where I bring we get together one day a month in a, uh, like a board of directors meeting. Mm. Um, and it's guys from non-competing industries. It may be contractors, uh, guys that are in manufacturing, finance. Uh, and it's a day to come together to work on the business, not in the business mm. for the purpose of glorifying God through the business. Been a, been a wonderful ministry to be a part of. I've been doing it about five years now. Oh, so what, what got you into C12 in the first place? Um, disgust. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I had witnessed that there was a, um, a large gap and a real disenchantment between, um, very successful Christians in business of not knowing how to plug into the church. Mm. Um, uh, really struggling with that. And, and that was irrespective of denomination, you know, this, whether it was a evangelical Catholic or uh, Baptist or, you know, someone from one of the arms of the Pentecostal church reform, it didn't matter. Right. Uh, they really struggled with how to get ensconced in the church, how to serve well. And so where they found comfort was in each other. So for me, I had seen great business. I had seen excellence in the business world, but I'd seen very little compassion. Mm. And I'd seen a lot of compassion and heart in the church, but very little excellence. Mm. And so there was a, there was a real hurt um, to try to find companies who were both performing excellently, um, but also had the chief ends of glorifying the Lord and profitably. So, so I, I just quit everything I was doing, started fasting for about nine months and God dropped it in my lap. I wasn't looking for it. I didn't know C12 existed, That's awesome. Um, but I just got so disgusted and told God, I'm not moving until you tell me what you want me to do. And, um, it was actually an old business associate that called me and said, if, if you don't do this, then I'm going to, but I think this is, this is what you need to be doing. And so my wife and I pursued it, prayed about it. And, um, 
uh, it was confirmed to me over and over, and it's been the blessing of my life outside That's of awesome. receiving Christ and my wife, you know, children. <laughs> Well, we, we have to say that for sure, because this goes uh, this goes across on the Internet. Um, <laughs> well, that, that's a, but that's such a cool thing. What is it that you well, I mean, not just getting started, and, but maybe up into this point, what is it that has kept good Christian businessmen and uh, from assimilating and connecting in local churches like the need? I mean, what do you think are some of the main obstacles there? I think it's largely similar to what it is for pastors. Mm. Fear of vulnerability. Oh, yeah. On this one arm, you have men who feel the need to lead and be an example, um, but they, whether it's generational or what have you, it's it's a lack of understanding that sometimes the best way you can lead is by being vulnerable, is by acknowledging mm-hmm. your own failings, and that's where you create empathy, yeah. where you become relatable, and you can really truly be a great leader. It's that, pe- uh, that whole pedestal mentality. I've- yeah. Definitely. Complex. I have to solve everybody's problems. This whole thing is going to fall apart without me. Um, and it's just not, it's just not true. And frankly, if your business is set up to where it falls apart without you, you haven't built a very good business. Oh, that's a hundred percent. You got a job, the worst kind of boss. Well, and there's so many, yeah, no doubt. And there's, there's so many relatable, I think, truths, you know, obviously pastors, aren't CEOs and CEOs aren't necessary. I think we're all called the pastor and shepherd people, no doubt, but they're obviously vocational pastors. It's a little bit different, but there are, like you said, so many things like pastors. We always say that the higher you build the pedestal, the more room there is to fall and how difficult because it's, it's lonely, it's difficult. And, um, and yeah, you do. I think you see, honestly, this is a, maybe a different podcast for a different time, but uh, vulnerability and community. I think that probably right now, in the church, I'm just going to throw out, you know, 80% of statistics can be faked on the spot. Um, that's for real. But I think that some way it seems like somewhere around 80, 90% has been my experience of people have a veneer of community and connection um, because they just show up, but they are there physically, but they're not present in any way, shape or form. And, you know, I love Jim Elliott said so well, the um, famous missionary, wherever you are, be all there. And I think that there is, there's this, that's a, I think that's even just an American thing, uh, a Western thing. We, we hide, we, you know, growing up as a kind of a fundamentalist, a little bit Christian, we were always, it was like, keep all your dirty stuff behind <laughs> and make sure you project what you want. So that man, praise God for what you guys are doing. That's huge uh, to us. And, and so you spend though a lot of your time coaching, right? Coaching and connecting with guys. I mean, Board, boardroom meetings, even too, are a special kind of coaching because you're really essentially it's like a small group, only with a, di- a little bit different focus. But you're all speaking into and talking. John, you coach people on the regular, don't you? Yeah, I do. I meet with a group of pastors. I do think so. You know, I quoted Jack Black, of course, because he's deep theologically. But um, <laughs> I do know um, uh, most of us tend to look at, at church in a way that says, you know, I'm a I'm a business owner who's a Christian or I work here and I'm a Christian or I'm a mother who's a Christian. And, and that's the wrong way to look at it. Um, we're believers who happen to be business owners or believers who happen to be, you know, I'm a believer who happened to be called into ministry. And when we flip those, we tend to start identifying the wrong things. And so discipleship really, I think, um, moves throughout and transcends all of those things. And so there's, if we're not doing uh, and discipling and mentoring and investing in people through that lens, then yeah, we're in a bad situation. And I think you do, you get separated, but I love what John Maxwell said when he said, one of the greatest values of mentors or coaches um, is the ability to see ahead what others cannot see and to help them navigate a course um, to their destination. And what I like about that is, when I've been served on church staffs before, like I hungered and desired, I would ask pastors, Hey, will you meet with me an hour a week? Just pour into me, help me with my leadership, help me with how I relate to people. And I connect. Um, I never, so one church I went to, the guy told me, I'll guarantee it. We'll do it. Then I said, okay, we met twice in two years and we didn't even talk about anything substantial. Went to another church and I had to set the agenda every week. And it was always just like an update meeting or one church that I was at that John, John and I even know about intimately. Um, I went, you went to it and there was no discussion or growth. It was, if you don't agree with me, you're just wrong. And it was, it was a really unhealthy coaching dynamic. And what I love about John Maxwell's quote is that coaching isn't about 
this I'm right, you're wrong and deal with it. Coaching is about, Hey, I've been similar places and, and let me walk through that with you. I mean, does that, is that resonate with what you do and what you've, you've kind of experienced Ben, John? Yeah, I think for me, one of the things that, uh, one of the, one of the issues is a lot of, a lot of guys don't know how to coach mm. because they weren't coached. You know, I think, and that's a, you can change out the word coaching for discipleship. A lot of our pastors don't know how to disciple because they weren't discipled. Mm. And my first pastor uh, named Paul Baxter, mm. uh, one of my closest friends to this day, he's about 70 year old man. Uh, I served under him for my first three years in ministry. And he had gone through student pastor after student pastor after student pastor. And I really just saw him as a wealth of knowledge. He'd been a pastor of this church for 30 years. Um, an incredible, incredible man had a divinity degree from Yale back before they were crazy. Um, <laughs> had, uh, just, I mean, you, you name the, the pedigree and, and this guy had it, right. And he was, he was bred to be a, a lead pastor. He had never been anything, but at many different churches and, and States, but he had been at this church for 30 years. And so, um, I went to him and just said, I need what you have and I need you to give it to me. And he was like, well, I don't, I don't know how to do that. And I said, I need one hour a week. That's all I need. Mm. And I'm going to come to you with all the questions I have from my reading and we're going to talk about it. If we get one thing done in an hour, that's fine with me. And yeah. so I had to go, I, 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 he wasn't giving me what I needed. And so I had to go get it. I read a book called leading from the second chair. I don't even remember who wrote yeah. it. It's a great book. Excellent book. But I think what that really spoke to was my leadership wasn't giving me what I needed my leadership mm. to give me. And so I had to go get it from him. Mm. And so I began to go to his secretary and get on his calendar. And I would go ahead and block out an hour of his time every week for months in advance. Yeah. Started just being taking initiative and going to him and I'd have a list of questions. And sometimes we'd answer one, sometimes we'd answer all of them, but I was going and getting from him what I needed. And I ended up kind of becoming his pet project. Oh, that's awesome. Because I was kind of his last thing before he retired the last kind of legacy piece. And so what that meeting actually ended up becoming was he ended up giving me two hours of his week or three hours of his week. He would wow. clear his afternoons on Thursdays and just spend with me. And he would walk through issues in the church and he would say, Hey, here's an issue. How would you handle it? And so he would walk me through the whole thing. Say, here's, here's the players. Here's how this is going on. Here's some of the background. What would you do? And so I would answer and he would say, okay, that's your three. Here's my 33 year view. And so he would walk me through and I'd be like, oh my gosh, there's so many nuanced things to this. And so what I learned early and I didn't even realize I was learning it was sometimes you've got to go get the discipleship you need because people don't know how to give it to you. But yeah. when you get it, when you get it, I mean, coaching is so incredibly valuable because you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And I mean, that's the easiest way to say it. You don't know what you don't know and other people do know it. And so we, you need we talked about this, <clears throat> excuse me, last time we talked about this idea that, you know, discipling is one of the biggest things you hear from the pulpit. And yet it is, like you said, I mean, a pastor with a Yale seminary degree, and they're just not used to do it. We just haven't been trained. Well, that. I call it, and I, what I'm about to say might get me slapped on the wrist, but I'll call it the Adrian Rogers syndrome. Oh, I, I mean, Adrian, you're not going to me. Rogers is quoted as saying, bring them to the church and I will disciple them from the pulpit. Mm. So Jesus what, said, give me 12 people and I'll disciple them personally. Yeah, I mean, whatever. What, I mean, it's just, what he's just done. What he's just done is <clears throat> he's built a, we've built a generation of pastors yeah. that don't know how to build relationships. They know how to build congregations. Mm. And so when they don't build congregations, they're failing. Well, cause it's all about, I mean, and also it's come back to bite us, right? In this age, oh, yeah. uh, we talk about pastor porn and it's, you know, I don't like what you preached and it offended me because truth offends. So I'm going to go listen to Stephen Furtick on podcast. Yeah. And yeah. then it's like, and that becomes, <laughs> what do you think, Ben? Well, like John, John said, you don't know what you don't know, but you do pay the price for it regardless. Yeah. <laughs> that's, wow. That's a quotable. <laughs> you know, when he was taught, when John was talking about, you know, taking the initiative, I think of so many e young businessmen, 
um, you know, fire starters, guys that have big intellects, you know, a lot of horsepower, young guys in the ministry. And I yeah. think of an old guy that's a, a big, uh, that John and I are both a big fan of. He was kind of an evangelical Methodist. Again, maybe a contradiction of terms. An old guy named <laughs> Leonard Ravenhill. And if he you're said, Methodist, keep listening. Yeah. He said, uh, he said, you know, when he was really getting going and he was pastoring a big church in Manchester, England, he said he had this young guy who approached him and said, you know, when you retire, you know, I'd love to pick up your mantle. And Raven Hill said, I don't know about my mantle, but you can have my sackcloths and ashes. Oh, that's awesome. Gosh. Well, and it's, I mean, I get that. It's so funny. Oh, go ahead. Well, you, you, it's this, there has to be a willingness to speak the truth, not simply to have affirmation. So the biggest thing in coaching is not to distribute prescriptions Mm. or be a consultant, which is, I think, one of the big failings of coaching in whatever form it comes. It's to help people on the discovery of how to hear from the Holy Spirit. Right. hundred percent. Because that's your instructor. It's a practice. It's a practice. It's like, it, you know, we, there is, it's like, I guess that is a good distinction to bring is consulting is a hundred percent different than, than uh, discipleship or coaching or investing. And, and it's, it's that kind of an idea of, you know, when you consult, you're fitting a mold, giving somebody a mold, I think to some degree, Hey, you need to be like me and fit this. But when we coach people, the goal should be in disciple. The goal should be like, we used to talk about this with students. When I teach God's word, whether it's student ministry or adults, I'm not trying to t- give you all the answers. I'm just trying to teach you how to read the map so you can get to the treasure on your own. There's yep. not enough years involved in it. And I think that it's a, it is a, a, it's a huge failing, but I think it's just, I think it's a laziness. And I think that it's a, a pride of building our own kingdoms that we have. We've made it all about, let me give you the formula because I came up with it. And then we don't bring, uh, you know, I used to talk a lot about the idea that every, every Moses needs a Joshua and every Joshua needs a Caleb, but all of us, just none of those guys, Joshua wasn't Moses when he led and Caleb wasn't Joshua when he, you know, when he was leading and investing and, but those were men that they were called in to do work and to learn and grow along with the leader not become that leader. And what I've seen is, you know, as, as much as I hear pastors talk about the idea of, you know, well, it's not, you know, grow or uh, discipleship isn't an assembly line. It's, it's a special thing. Well, they sure treat it like it. It's, you know, even when you look at personal growth um, material and literature and all that, I mean, there's nothing personal about it. Or, you know, we've seen all these several book subscriptions that have come up and it's like, you can be a leader too. Don't worry. I've chewed out everything and I've written you a summary and you get this list of books. And, but where, you know, where's the coaching and the growth on that? And so, you know, and we'll talk about it at one point, how I think we're combating some of that personal growth uh, issue. But, but I mean, let's, let's ask this question. I mean, we've hit at it a little bit, but let's go head on. Ben, why, why is coaching so important? Well, I think the, the, the biggest thing is, um, you know, we're, most people are looking to have their uh, questions answered. Mm. Very few people are looking to have their their answers questioned. Oh, oh wow. Nice. <laughs> it's true. Most people are not looking to have th- their assumptions challenged, mm. which is why most people are going to fail in an avenue but if you have a venue uh, or an individual that you trust that you can be open with, you're giving them a license to call to awareness for you, the areas of weakness, the areas of strength, it's mm-hmm. objective and it's not self-affirming. So you don't, yeah. you don't have to live in the same echo chamber forever. Yeah. That's that level of push. I mean, you know, we as evangelicals, a lot of times throw a lot of hand grenades towards either, you know, the secular world or our brothers in the Catholic church. Right. Well, one thing they've got figured out is they know that a general can't be a general to 5,000. A general can lead 12 or 15 lieutenants. Yeah. A lieutenant can lead 12 or 15 majors. Mm. You know, and if you don't, and, and, you know, we had that model and then we abandoned it. Yeah. Well, hundred percent. Well, and you leave and look back at Exodus, right? And that's, that's yeah. the model that Moses, that God gives Moses. You can't, I mean, Moses gets burnt out, right? God just lets him get burned out. He goes, you can't oversee these 4 million 
Israelites. You're going to need to set up teams and and he starts breaking it down. And what I think is really funny and this, I don't know if this is a, I don't think this is a widespread thing, but I was at a church one time where, um, the past, so we grew So oddly enough, I was at a church that didn't want to grow. I've, I never had experienced that in my life. And so we went from say what? You know, the church sign. Yeah, <laughs> it should have been. I'm telling. I mean, almost every staff meeting, there'd be this like very over pious discussion about we don't need to grow. We can't shepherd this many. And I'm like, well, if you'd get your junk together and raise up leaders, it wouldn't be a problem. And so when we were, I mean, that was what I spent my time doing. Was I mean, we took in. I think we went from somewhere, and it's not about the numbers. It's about the health of the people, and those are not always linked. But when you, when you just, whether you, when you're doing it right and, and you're also experiencing growth, we, I mean, we went from, from double digits to 250, 260 in a year and a half. And we're raising up leaders and connecting people. And I was connecting willing people. And it was so funny, you know, they're talking about Moses and this woman walks up to me, not the most spiritual person, not the deepest person, but they had just preached on Moses setting up these systems of investing. And she went, I can see that you're doing this across the board. And I was like, Oh, good. Can you tell the pastor? Cause he keeps telling me not to bring people. <laughs> I didn't say that, but I thought it, yeah. um, but it, I mean, I think you hit on it so well too. coaching. I mean, coaching is important because dad gummit, I want to learn from your mistakes. I really want to know where you screwed up. So I don't have to screw up in the same way. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Part of the beauty of coaching is learning what not to do. And my, my dad always, my dad always told me growing up, he'd said, son, nobody's totally worthless. You can serve as a bad example. <laughs> and I, it took me a long time to get it. But then I realized, man, we're all teaching, we're all leading and we're all discipling because we're constantly learning. And so it's not really a matter of where, like if we're leading people, it's a matter of where we're leading people and we're either leading people closer to the throne room of God or further away. Well, I did have one thing and I want, I want to, I want to get this out of my mouth. Yeah. I, I lose my train goes in the ditch pretty quick. Um, one of the, one of the things we talk all the time about within the bit on the business realm is it's typically the guy, the entrepreneurial guy, the startup guy who, who gets a company to about 20 employees is not necessarily the best guy to take it from 20 to 2000. Oh yeah. Well, a lot of times you'll have somebody who is great at building churches, but nobody's ever taught them leadership. Like mm -hmm. they're, they're incredibly spirit filled, dynamic, just in, you know, they're just entrenched in the word. They have no idea how to lead people. Yeah. That's a great point. And that's a great point. if you, you can have a pastor who is tender hearted and loves people. If he doesn't know how to lead his staff, well, the church is going to be maxed out by his capacity. Well, let's take it a step further. If he, not only that, but if he refuses to bring other people on that can take that load and to let it go, then he's his own problem and fault. I, we've all been in those churches. No yeah. doubt. That's a great word. Um, you, it reminds say what? Happens in business all the oh. time. Well, it reminds me of, uh, it reminds me of a book and I didn't read the book. But so I'm judging the book by its cover. I don't I'm, I have it on order from Amazon, but it was called what what got you here won't get you there. And and I think that just the saying alone is enough to make you think I need to read it soon. Uh, but either way, it, it's true. You you know, we and we have seen like I've been in churches that were large, but they were they were capped out and nothing was growing and people were dissatisfied and frustrated. And it was because the pastor wasn't even that spirit filled. He was just we talk about you can either be. Uh, either a combination of these, but pastors, prostitutes, or uh, politicians. You're either really good at networking and shaking hands and people go for that reason, or people essentially pay you to make them feel good. So you're a prostitute or you're going to shepherd people, no matter if it's uncomfortable. And, and I do, you see a lot of people that are, they may, they're great speakers and great politicians, but they're just not willing to bring other people along with them or even grow themselves. And, that's a really, it's a sad boat to be only as big as you're ever going to be. It, there's a certain amount of water. You get, if there's one capacity, you can either have a bucket that's this big around and this tall. Yeah. You can have a tray that's this long and a, and a half inch, quarter inch deep. Man, I want to be deep and wide. When you bring more, you're yeah. either going to be real deep with 10 and stay there, or you're going to be real shallow with 200. And both are a bad option <laughs> at the end of the both day. Both are not. The, the great commission. 
Right. 100%. Well, so like you, you, I know you run into this. I'm sure Ben, John and I run into this. Like what, I mean, what do you say to somebody who doesn't need coaching? I mean, cause everybody should pull themselves up by their own bootstraps or some oh, would say. I'm going to correct that real quick. What do you say to somebody <laughs> that says they don't need coaching? Uh, well, that's, oh yeah, you're right. Sorry. <laughs> I miss I missed the question. Yeah. But what do you say to somebody who says, I don't need it. I do not need it. Well, first of all, you, you, you have to open the same thing you would do as an apologist. You start, you really want to open people up to their own set of assumptions. Mm. Oh, so you're, you're as big a company as you want to be. Right. And you have all the time with your wife you'd like to have. I'm sure you've made all your son's baseball games. Mm. I'm sure you've never missed a concert for your daughter since you're, you're on top of everything. Um, (laughs) and the business is critical to you. How's that working out when you need to go to your son's baseball tournament? Or oh. when the pastor asks you to volunteer, how's that working out for you? I love that you're such a smart aleck, Ben. You're now my favorite guest of all time, <laughs> John included. You can do that if it's coming from a place of care. Yeah. You know, if it's just condescension to be right, that's not going to be received well. But people yeah. can tell if you care. If you're no, 100%. asking sequential questions, wanting to see someone come to a deeper and more abiding faith in Jesus that will actually change the world. Yeah. Man, chat. To be able to ask him hard questions. You know what sounds an awful lot like to me, Ian? What? Sounds like Ben starts with why. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like it sounds, and I'm not even joking or being funny, but we talked. I don't don't understand the reference. (laughs) We talked about that a couple weeks ago. So if you're just joining the podcast, I'll give you an update. Mm -hmm. So Simon Sinek uh, did a TED talk on that organizations that start with why tend to be the ones that have the most tremendous growth. And so what Ben just basically described is. Hey, wouldn't you want to be the Christian business leader that is contributing to his family, making all their baseball games healthy in his marriage, you know, contributing to the church? Like, what if I told you that if you did this coaching, we could get you to that place? You could be all of those things. And so we're not saying, hey, you need coaching because uh, we want to spend time with you and, and we need your money. No, what we're saying is, Hey, we want to see all that you can be to be a contributing member in the body of Christ and a faithful husband and a father. And uh, that's, that's the way you're going to get there. And so I think when we say to someone who says they don't need coaching, um, you'd be the first. Yeah. You'd be the first. Because <laughs> honestly, I need coaching every day. The longer that, yeah. um, and, and Ben and I talked even, even last week, you know, we're about to have a son. We already have a dog, uh, should be 20 months next month when we bring mm-hmm. our son home. Um, it petrifies me being a father of two because I only really know kind of how to be a father of one right now. Yeah. And so I need someone like Ben, who's a father of three, like telling me, hey, man. So he's coaching me, even though he's not even realized that's what he's doing. Um, but that's. And I've been coached back. Right. Mm. I mean, because I mean, coaches learn. Right. Coaches have to learn. And you look at, at uh, Nick Saban. I mean, Nick Saban and Bill Belichick, arguably the two greatest coaches of all time what are two things that they do all the time? They bring in coaches from other places to ask about how to get better, how to, how to get new ideas. And it's, it's incredible that those guys who many times they videotape other teams to get really good ideas. Hey, you know, but (laughs) I'm just kidding. I don't follow anything with pro football. (laughs) I just know that story, but it's true. Yeah. And they're constantly learning and they'll tell you, they're constantly learning and that's why they're still coaching is because mm-hmm. they still have more to do. They don't think they're the greatest. Yeah. They think there's still more to do, but it should, it always, yeah. And I think what you're hitting, there's a humility there that the more, and that's the thing you can tell people that not only are not humble, but are, are tend to be ignorant are the people that assume they've just learned it all. And we all know that the more you learn the, the, at least the godly response and the depth response is to realize how little, you know, the more I'm learning, the more I realize the, the deeper my life gets or man, the next season I'm in, I realize I don't know enough and I should know more, right? Like you, the more books I read, the more I realize I got more books to read. And, uh, and so the, I don't know that to me. And I think you hit a great point too, that all coaches and uh, cause remember what I, I mean, we, we get leaders, right. To do small groups cause small groups, just like your ministry, that's where we grow are in small groups of people. And so I think, I always tell my leaders, they go, I don't have all the answers. And I go, good, because nobody does. And you shouldn't. And I said, the best thing that people can, A, hear is, I don't know, let me check. And two, 
you need to understand it doesn't matter if you're working with high school kids or you're working with adults or who it is, you're always going to be learning more than they do at the end of the day. I would go even a step further. And I would say, yeah. find me one who has it. I'll leave you one. and never talk to you again. If you can find me one great man mm. who hasn't been, Jesus went to the garden. Yep. He just went to the garden. He took coaching from the father and he was God in the flesh. hundred percent. He went and consulted with the father. Paul spent three years with, uh, after his blindness mm. with, with Barnabas and Ananias. Yep. Being coached, being uplifted, being confirmed in the spirit. Peter took coaching from Paul. <laughs> no doubt. Right? I mean, the disciples took coaching from one another. They were there to correct one another. The Bible calls us to correct one another. Do not give up gathering. And a lot of times that happens in a one-on-one -on -one setting. Well, it's just coaching. everything that we're talking about, too. It's just interesting that the only real difference between coaching and discipleship is whether or not you know Christ. Because you can have coaches who don't know Christ, but when you once you know him and that's the focus of your life, coaching and discipleship become real close. <laughs> Pretty much the same thing. Yes. I love that. We, well, let me, you know, personal growth is so important to G6 allies and the math pastors that we've developed Growbox. Stop wasting your time. Uh, the little time that you have on mediocre books, there isn't enough time in your day for work, ministry, family, and the countless hours required to mine mountains of books and resources, hoping to find just a few nuggets of gold. So make the investment in life and, and in yourself that'll pay dividends for those in your life and you. Growbox includes reading plans and practical guides that help you get the most out of each book. So you won't just read great books, you'll engage them. And every book has gone through our vetting process to ensure that you never waste time on a bad book again. But you aren't the only one who benefits from Growbox. Each box includes a bag of delicious coffee from a mission-minded business that sustains farms in Haiti. Plus, who said growth should be boring? Each quarter, you're going to receive fun, unique, and practical uh, gifts that are just plain cool and uh, guaranteed to make you at least 60% more popular around the office. Every grow box is assembled by our team specifically for you. No matter uh, what you think or who you are, no more one-size-fits-all growth plans. They just don't exist. So we offer personal growth that is actually personal. Growth should be challenging, but it should never be impossible. That's why we can't recommend Growbox enough. It's the quarterly box subscription for every church leader, Christian leader, and Christ follower who wants to grow in every area of their lives. So if you're interested in growing and saving time doing it and actually getting the most out of it, check us out or sign up for your own Growbox subscription at growbox.g6allies.com. All right. So that being said, gentlemen, Let's let's talk horror stories for a second. We've all got them. Um, but what are what are some, you know, maybe horror stories that we can kind of use as a hey, watch out for this? Because everybody listening here not only needs to be coached, but if you're a Christ follower or if uh, of any type, pastor or not, you you got to be coaching and, and discipling other people as well. So this is kind of it's a give and take, right? Half of it uh, are uh, the cojones to go to somebody like John talked about. And the other half is the willingness to do it. So what are some like watch out moments for when talking to or coaching other people from some horror perspectives? Well, I would say my biggest thing is, uh, you know, when you and I talked about this earlier, when you said this is one of the things we're going to talk about, I'm like, man, if I got one free <laughs> Um, I think the biggest thing is coaching tends to be something where it only works if someone is teachable. Mm. <laughs> and so you need, to, yeah. Yeah, you need to know, are they teachable? And so typically what I find is people that desire to be coached are yearning for information. Yeah. And so you don't have to go to them and say, would you like coaching? They're typically nudging and prodding and asking questions that lend you to say, Hey, this person is teachable and, and, and wants to, to be around some, uh, some edification and some, and some growth. And so what, so what I mean by that is what leads itself into the horror story is I have a, a great friend of mine. He interned with me for a year and now he's a, he's a pastor of a, of a thriving small church, a uh, rural church in, yeah. uh, in Georgia. Mm -hmm. And he has just been unbelievable for this church. 
and has grown them tremendously spiritually. And that has also worked itself numerically. But what has begun to happen is he needs help. He needs mm-hmm. some staff members that can mm-hmm. kind of come in and, and work alongside yeah. him and the deacons to get some things done. And so they were really struggling with some horrible associate pastors, horrible associate pastors. We had two guys that one was just absolutely crazy. I mean, when he took the job, I told him the greatest thing you can do for yourself and for the church is to fire him or have them fire him before you get there. <laughs> he was that bad. Wow. And, um, and he didn't do it because he's got a heart of gold and he wanted to see this church, you know, succeed and this guy have an opportunity, ended up having to fire him. Mm. Uh, the guy that came in to replace him uh, did a great job, but he ended up having some, uh, some mental uh, breakdown things that they had to deal with and uh, right. been tremendous. Uh, I just said his name, tremendous uh, <laughs> loving through that situation. Uh, just absolutely really loving through that situation. And uh, they ended up bringing up another guy. And so this guy was a guy that they hired. He was a retired military officer, 35 years old. And they brought him in and he had a passion for students, a passion for ministry, he had served in multiple locations as a bivocational guy. And, um, but as you can imagine, being a, an officer in the military, he had, he had a certain amount of gruff with him. Sure. But in the interview process, interview process, I was, I was right there with him and we were talking and, and getting to know this guy. And he was tremendous in the interview <laughs> process. I mean, absolutely tremendous, knocking it out of the park, 100%. And so he moved here and uh, took the position. And I am not kidding you. The day he took the position, it was like something snapped in him. And the person that he had been in the interview process was not who this guy really was. The person that uh, the person that all of these um, references had mentioned was not who this guy really was. And so he wanted to come and be coached by me quote unquote, but really what he wanted to do was come and complain about the head pastor and the church and the issues in the church that he knew were there and he knew how to fix them. And so what he, what he failed to realize was I was best friends with, uh, really close friends with the pastor. Sure. And so I'm trying to balance, you know, how do I honor my friend who is the pastor? How do I honor this relationship? Um, and then ultimately what I found out was everything I was telling him and coaching, he was weaponizing, changing and taking into the church and pulling the trigger on all this different kind of stuff and ended up decimating the student ministry. People were leaving the church left and right. I think they had a deacon leave the church and his family. I mean, people were absolutely not coming in tears over what was happening in this church. And in three months, like a blaze of fire had burned through that place. And they had to say, you know what? We, we love you, but you got to go. Mm-hmm. And in three months, in three months, it was absolutely, uh, just, Oh my goodness gracious. <laughs> and they've just now gotten to a point where a college kid is, is running their student ministry, doing a phenomenal job. He's naturally gifted. He loves students. He loves people. And, um, and he's a guy that, that here's the difference. He's a guy that's reaching out. He's calling me, yeah. asking me questions. And he's like, man, what do you think about this? Or he's reading something in scripture and he's calling me like, I just saw this. Can you believe this? This has been here the whole time. And like to hear his passion and his energy. So I love it. I I love him. I love what they're doing as a church. It's a tremendous church, but they have gone through some horrendous things. Um, And all that to say the horror stories that I've experienced, that just kind of is Mm -hmm. one example. But the horror stories that I've experienced are from guys that don't necessarily want coaching. Yeah. They want a place that they can come vent and then you can tell them things and they can twist it and take it on their own. And so mm-hmm. what they do is uh, they come to you and they just want to tell you their problems. Mm. And uh, well, that- well, maybe let, let me ask this question. Maybe it's not that they need a because venting can be healthy, but maybe it's that maybe you're saying are you telling me that beware of people that just want to come and be have their truth confirmed or have their opinions confirmed? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's it's always amazing to me. Um, my, my ex brother-in-law, he used to tell me all the time, um, man, God showed me this or God told me this or whatever. And I'd say, no, he hasn't <laughs> like, what do you mean? I'm like, because everything that you just told me is contrary to the word of God. Cause I just read the Bible. <laughs> uh, 
God's not going to contradict himself. And it's odd that every time you say anything, God just happens to agree with you. No, it's funny how he does that for some people. Um, we, I, I want the, I want the mug. My brother-in-law sent it to me uh, the other day. My, he sent me this mug that I'm going to order. I just don't want to pay $15 plus shipping, but it's, uh, it's as I can do all things through this first taken out of context. It is <laughs> it's my favorite of all time. Um, Cause obviously I'm not a sarcastic person in the least, but, uh, but that really appeals to it. But no, I think that, no, I think you're right. And I catch a couple of things from this and you guys, speak into this if you think but when you tell me that story other than what you took away from it I also it kind of clicked in my mind that it can be very easy to try and take responsibility for the actions of people that you're coaching or pouring into when you can't take it now granted if you've given bad advice or you've indulged something you got some personal responsibility but but when people go off the rails like you can all you can you can only do your best to pour into people and to speak truth into them. And, and you got to be careful to not take responsibility where it's not yours, because pastors, especially we're fixers. Uh, that tends to be a general trait. A lot of times, like therapists tend to be people that are just trying to fix themselves. So they become a therapist to fix everybody else in that attempt. I think pastors often do that. And so we got to be careful too, just not to not to assume that every fault of somebody else is my fault. Right. There's a, there's a leader that I know, and he always makes the statement that if you'll take the blame, you'll take the credit. Yes. 100%. If you'll, if you'll, what is it? If you'll, uh, if you'll take credit for the successes, you'll take credit for the failures, right? Yeah. That's a great, great quote. What about you, Ben? What are some horror stories that you remember? Well, I cha- yeah. I changed my mind about the story. I want to tell <laughs> so, Please. so the Cardinal, one of the Cardinal ethics in, in C12, it's, it's like, you know, priestly or lawyerly confidentiality. So I'm actually going to tell, I'll tell you a story uh, anonymously about a member in another chairs group uh, told me about, and this guy had, this guy had an exemplary business. One of the things that we do every month is we kind of have a, we have a ballast wheel and you rate yourself one to 10 and you can track it over time. You know, how's your walk with God? How's your marriage? How's your relationship with your family, your fitness, your nutrition, your financial health, um, you know, your organizational development, you know, it's a balance wheel of about seven or eight things that really measures, you know, the whole life, uh, sure. you know, one life under the Lordship of Christ. Um, and there was this gentleman who had high marks everywhere. Now keep in mind, this guy is probably paying a thousand dollars a month being a CEO for, Ooh, right. Uh, and it had benefited him greatly. He'd probably, you know, he, he, you know, raised his revenue millions of dollars. Sure. So, you know, he got a, a thousand fold on his investment, but this gentleman was giving himself high marks in everything. And particularly <laughs> one of the things that we see every single month, the single, the one common amongst business owners is like, they'll all say, Oh, my nutrition's terrible. My fitness is awful. Very few of them have the courage to say that my marriage is They've all got eights and nines on their marriage. Yeah. If I called your wife, would she say that your marriage is an eight or a nine? So this gentleman has been putting eights and nines on their business is healthy. He's funding. He has ministries packed into his P&L that he's funding. So wow. written into the business P&L are missionaries, ministries. This guy is paying for not only coaching, but he's paying to be a part of a peer advisory board. Mm. month after month after month. And like you used a great word, just putting up a veneer, but he would never really go deep. He would never really talk about the real issues. Well, this guy takes a trip to Europe with his wife, come home, comes home, tells his C12 group, I'm getting a divorce. I don't want to hear about it. Case closed. What? Wait a minute. You've been coming in here every month telling us, putting nine on your marriage. Yeah. And all this time and he, and they said, well, would you have told us? And he said, if you'd have asked me, I'd have told you. And like, well, why would we ask you if you're putting? Yeah. When John says you have to, you can't force someone to take coaching. Yep. They have to want to be coached. Yep. Yeah. So you can do the, I mean, you can literally pay for coaching. <laughs> What? Not accept it. Yeah. And we have guys that do it just to placate their conscience. Uh, but they don't really yeah. dig in yeah. and say, do the work. 
there's plenty of people that pay for exercise videos and don't get up and do it. There's right. gym members. I mean, you can look at the average gym, and we know this data. You're looking at 50, 60% of people that pay gym memberships never go more than once a month. That's 100% right. And I think we saw that 93%, I was looking at this quote for something else, but 93% of New Year's resolutions are failed. <laughs> so yeah. you literally, you just have to work out for a whole year and you're in the top 10%. But that, that is, it's a, I love, I mean, I hate the story, but I love the fact that, I mean, it's a hundred percent true. You, you, you've got to be vulnerable and honest. And and honestly, I mean, I I know that's what we're getting at, but it just sounds like somebody who they're always going to find an excuse why they're not right. I mean, like there's, they're why, why it's your fault, right? Well, you didn't ask me about it. Well, because you lied when we did ask you about it, we didn't have anything to say. But it, it is, it's interesting. So many people, I mean, that's our culture, isn't it? I can be, our culture is, it's more and more common to be gifted beyond your character. So we don't spend time developing anything because man, developing is work and developing is hard, but man, I'm really gifted in this one area. So, you know what, I'm going to run that thing 90 miles an hour until our, our giftedness and our responsibility outpace our character and our depth. And you see that with so many pastors, right? These guys, they are so, and we see this all the time, which is why we're so uh, vocal. And that's why mad pastors exist in G six allies is that because it's, you know, I get if somebody's not uh, when you're a vocational pastor and you have a moral failure, the ripples are crazy, which is why you're doing so much of what you're doing with businessmen who are called to be in the church and called to be, there's no such thing as a lone Christian. And so they're called to be in the church, but they've been disenchanted so much with bad leadership and bad pastors and people that preach humility and don't act that way. And, and it is, I mean, it totally makes sense across the board. And, but, but let's say this, what are some success stories that you've got? What are, what are some really great, a couple success stories about coaching? I recently for me, there's a student leader in town that had reached out and was just, you know, first job having, having kind of a rough go of it yeah. had taken over for somebody who uh, really was somebody who had taken the, taken the job because it was a paycheck mm. and um, didn't really turn out to be what it was going to, what it, what he wanted it to be. Yeah. That can be and tough. So, so walked out the door and really kind of left it in, in uh, shambles. And so this particular individual kind of steps in, in the middle of that, there's a pastoral transition and so if you've never been a part of a pastor transition, transitions are hard when you're not the person that the pastor wants in those roles. And yeah. so, um, there's something to be said about being the pastor's guy or being the pastor's girl. I mean, there's just a something to be said there for being the person in the role. And so this person just had tremendous issues and was just really trying hard, but just overwhelmingly asking the right questions, Yeah, really struggling and, and uh, turned into you know, that person really boiled down to just saying, Hey, for, for your health, for the health of the church, uh, a, you need counseling and B you need to leave that role. Wow. Yeah. Golly. And, uh, and they did, um, they left the role. Um, and unfortunately they didn't leave the role in a timely manner. Um, as, as I had coached them to do, um, like, Hey, you need to go ahead and get out of here. Um, so they were forcibly uh, kind of removed. And then ultimately um, they took the cue and, and as of a couple of weeks ago, messaged me and said, Hey, look, finally, finally getting the help that I need and yeah. I'm in a good place. And so for me, that was a huge success was saying, okay, you know what, maybe on the first round of advice, you know, we didn't hit the mark um, and things were done to us rather than us being proactive, but uh, we are going to be proactive and get the help that we need from people that, uh, and, and I think that's the thing that we need to also mention is that coaching is not, uh, counseling. Right. Oh yeah. 100%. Coaching is not counseling. I am not a licensed counselor, um, mm-hmm. I, uh, teaching biblical principles and, yep. uh, and, uh, whatever, whatever I have in the tank, wisdom, knowledge, whatever I'll give you for free. Uh, but I am not a counselor. So well, pro- providing counsel and being a counselor are definitely two different things. And that's, that's what, yeah. And pastors so often, like the pastors feel like we have to assume that role, but man, I, I tend to be, this is just some free advice. I try and find not counselors that go, well, you should just pray more. If you pray more, your problems will go away. Those are not the counselors you want to talk with, but the ones that 
go, hey, God made a complex human in their image. And so I want to be practical and work with you. I always try and find two or three counselors in whatever town I work in. And dude, I straight up will recommend people immediately. Yep. If it's something I don't think I can handle. I'm telling you right now, if there's ever a day in the, in the, in the, in the future where God decides to change my heart and put me in a position of being the head pastor, if there's ever a day that that is true, every single person on my staff will, yep. will have to mandatory go to counseling. Yeah. I think everybody, I think every Christian should at least once or twice or yep. a lot. The, I, don't remember, I don't know if you've ever seen new girl, but I tend to think of uh, Schmidt when there's, if she asked Schmidt about uh, Zoe Dashnell asked him, she goes, well, why do you, why do you just keep dating? He said, Dating's like, he said, dating is like counseling. You just keep going and you never have an end. And, and as funny as that is, I'm like, maybe that should be what we all do sometimes. Uh, but, but no, that's huge. Ben, what about you, man? What's a, what's a great, like just a success story and maybe even one that we wouldn't view immediately as a success, like John was saying. Well, I mean, this really, this, this specific topic really resonates. So mm. it's, there's two things that the whole, you know, really the Holy Spirit does. It convicts us. Sure. And it points us to Jesus, right? Mm, yep. So if I'm f trying to fill the role of convicting people of sin, mm. that's not my job. My job, what the Holy Spirit does, and we have a counselor, right? The word tell us we have a counselor, right? They'll convict of sin. My job, if I love you, is I model what the Holy Spirit does, which tells you the truth. Right. Yeah. So the first, that's the first thing we establish in every coach relationship. Do you want me to be a cheerleader or do you want me to tell you the truth? That's great. And so true. I, but if all you want me to do is rah, rah, everything you've already decided you're going to do, you've probably got the wrong guy. Mm. If I, I can't tell you that I, I love you, if I'm not willing to tell you the truth, how I know this guy is one of my dear friends. I've had an issue in my life for several years now that I've largely had victory over and occasionally don't. But this brother right here is the, how I know he's a true friend. He's not afraid to tell me the truth. Yeah. He has a license to do so. So I have a young man in my, uh, a young guy in my group. He probably runs one of the biggest companies. Uh, well, he is the biggest company in my group and he wouldn't mm. I use his name. I won't, but, um, but he runs a, he runs a probably a $200 million a year company. And this guy mm. is young, he's tremendously successful. And we're sitting one day and he's talking about selling this company. And this is like an example of kind of, I didn't come up with it, which is why it worked. Um, <laughs> said, okay, so why, why do you want to sell the company? Well, I just, it'd be a great time to make a bunch of money. I'm like, okay. Um, why do you, what do you, what do you want to do with a bunch of money? Well, I, I want to go, I want to go, you know, I'd love to have a ranch out in Wyoming. Mm. Like, is God calling you to ranching in Wyoming? Well, no, not really. I just like to have it. I'm like, what did you just tell me at the beginning of this conversation? This business belongs to God and you're its steward. He's like, yeah. I was like, has God told you to sell the business? He said, well, I haven't really asked it. Yeah. I said, so do you think God's glorified by you retiring now and putting a bunch of money in your pocket and sitting around doing nothing for the rest of your life? Where's the biblical narrative there? Mm. Now, who is the Bible character that matches that? Right. Like, where is anybody? We were talking about this earlier mm -hmm. today, John. Where is anybody in the Bible who retires? <laughs> There's a retirement story in the Bible. He's like, you know, I don't know. Book of Opinions, chapter four. Well, I mean, I may never, I may never get this much money again. You know, he had a big company was going to buy him out. So this guy's like, I will give you one bit of advice. Yeah. Why don't you get along with God and ask him what he wants you to do? So this guy goes about 40 miles away from here, pulls up to a mountain down here in Pine Mountain, parks car, spends all day along with the Lord. He comes back to the next, our next C12 meeting. He's like, I know what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to keep the company. Six months later, he gets an offer for three times, three times what he was offered before. What? And he, didn't take it. and he didn't take it because God didn't tell him to sell the business. In the meantime, while keeping his people, he had two people come to Christ on the clock because he was, and everybody in the office knew that they were considering selling the business. So he comes in there with a the contract and says, this business is here for you. Man, we're here to provide you a meaningful place to do work with your hand. Mm. With your hands. 
and you're more important to me than money. He tears the contract up. Nobody had ever seen a boss do that. Nobody had ever seen somebody display leadership, realizing that they had a calling for God from God to create a scenario where people can come and do something meaningful. That's awesome. So much so that they had seen that, that that was the first place they encountered Jesus or had really seen who Jesus is in this guy. So if he'd have sold the company, one, uh, his, his company today does in revenue what he was going to get paid for the business. Gosh. Um, he's had multiple people come to Christ. He's funding all sorts of ministries. There's been healing from people all throughout his family. His brother is now walking. His brother-in-law is now walking with the Lord. He's had several people that have come back and all from just being willing to answer some honest questions and get along with the Lord. So I would push, speaking of telling each other the, the truth, Yeah, I would say that it's not all tell people to get alone with God and pray. Mm. I will tell you, that's the best and first place you should start. Oh, 100%. I, I love the, and here's what I like about just, A, how miserable would that guy have been had he bought the farm and just retired? Two, I mean, what, but what, a, this is what I think is so interesting. I mean, just <clears throat> we're not, we're not living and most of us are not going to call be called to be missionaries over there. So we're not living in Africa where we are day-to-day people. I mean, and, and I'm not, I am by no means well off or, you know, high, high middle-class or anything like that. I mean, I'm a, I'm a church planner and a you know, servant, a ministry that helps pastors, but we are so wealthy and so rich that it's like we don't ever like even this gentleman that you're talking about with so many millions that he could have gotten. You, you ask it's the question is so good because it's well, then what? Like you're you don't ex, you don't exist anymore to need money. You don't exist anymore to do those things. But most people, it's like they stop there and they'll never exhaust that need rather than saying, if I have all that I need, maybe my life is meant for more than that. And maybe there's more. And it's such so cool to see guys embracing that like you're talking about. God doesn't care about the commas and the zeros. He's not impressed by your net worth. Yeah, 100%. Do you want to be invited into what he's doing? That's, do you want to be a part of what he's doing? I, that is, I don't know. It's just crazy to me. I won't even tell a story because we're, we're over time, which is a good, it's a good thing because it was good. But I will say, um, I think that one, one successful thing as a pastor uh, and just as a believer is learning is setting and understanding what success really is. And for a long time for like, cause I was just, I was raised and trained in these environments that it would really bother me. And it's, I mean, you still feel that way sometimes, but it would bother me when students from years ago, they wouldn't call me to go do their wedding. They would call another pastor or they would. And I would just kind of sulk and be a whiny little, little, baby about it. And I'd be so mad. And then it was like, it kind of occurred to me. It's like, God said, Hey, by the way, that's a successful story because somebody's integrated into another church. They've built a relationship with another pastor. What you did wasn't wasted. And quite frankly, Ian, it's not about you. So put on your big boy pants and move on. And, and, or I would feel, you know, you would sit there and go, well, those people aren't doing what I want them to do. And I think that sometimes for me, it's successful coaching and, and good stories are being able to look at people who don't need you anymore. And saying those guys are doing what they need to be doing. And I, I've coached myself out of a job or discipled myself. And now they're discipling. I had a kid, one of the first kids I ever poured into, and it is by the grace of God, those kids didn't all decide to become Mormons and walk away. But I, I had a boy text me and, and man, I wasn't a great leader. I was a high school and college kid. Then he texted me a little while ago. He now has a wife, is about to have a family, which makes me feel old. I have a family. And he just said, hey, man, I'm leading my first couples group. And you have any suggestions? Cause I just want to be a great leader like you were for us. And I just thought, man, what a, like, it was so exciting to me at the moment, but it was just so cool to realize one, I'm not the one that caused any success in that. But two, if you'll just be faithful and, and realize that success isn't about creating automatons, it's, or you're not automata copies, not about creating carbon copies of you. It's about, creating people who can grow on their own. And so I mean, a hundred percent. And Ben, thank you for being with us today. 
It was my privilege, man. Well, we I'm, we're going to get you back on here at one point. And uh, the same thing with you, John Ben is now our, I think our fifth honorary mad pastor. And so we, uh, <laughs> we love having you here and, and we'll, we'll definitely have some more stuff, but listen, if you're, I know this was a longer podcast to those of you listening, but it was a worthwhile one. And, uh, and so if you uh, have any questions for us, all that information, we want you to reach out. If you've got questions about coaching or C12 or, uh, or grow box or any of those things, just email us at hello at G six allies.com. You're going to hear that again um, at the end of this, but listen, we, we love you guys. We're so excited that you'd spend time with us. Uh, ben, John, thank you so much. Appreciate it, man. Yeah. All right. As always, may your coffee stay hot, John, your ministry stay healthy. Boom. Bad pastors out. Thank you for listening to the Mad Pastors podcast today. We hope that you found it not only encouraging, but beneficial that you have people in your corner doing ministry. Here's what we'd love for you to do. If you'd subscribe, review, and share our podcast, that would mean the world to us, and it'd help as many pastors to hear and be encouraged just like you were. G6 is also supported by partners and allies like you who are willing to financially give and be a part of this ministry with us. So if you feel like you'd like to be a part of this with us, just go to g6allies.com slash partner. And we'd love for you to become our ally in our mission to serve pastors and their families. If you have questions, comments, or just want to talk more with us about your particular ministry needs, just email us at hello at g6allies.com. We can't wait to see you next time for our next episode.